becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you get to make real. I think so. Now we're ready. Now we're ready. Yeah. Okay. All hands on deck. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. To the shores. To the shores. Welcome, everyone. Second to last episode of the year. Woo! It's exciting. It is exciting. I think in two weeks we ought to do like a year recap. Okay. Maybe we can go kind of listen back through the year's episodes and pull out the highlights. Yeah, that'd be good. We won't play the highlights because that would take editing this show, but we'll (laughs) talk about them. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, I can't even, I don't even know so much has happened in the last two years. I can't even compact it into like just this year. So, but we'll, we'll go through that. Yeah. (laughs) I was about to like (laughs) head in that direction. Yeah. Save it. (laughs) Save it. Because today we're going to practice. Next week is (laughs) Christmas. Uh huh. Crazy. Today we're going to (laughs) practice. Practice failing today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, How do you want to get into that? Well, I mean, maybe just with what you were, uh, I don't know if you want to read something that you wrote or uh, we can kind of talk about, or maybe just your general story about uh, practicing the mandolin and writing and stuff and the frustration around that. Yeah. So every once in a while, I will come across a thought that is very, it just sort of seems to explode into this big, profound thing. So yesterday, <clears throat> right now in my life, I'm, I'm practicing a couple things every day. Um, my mandolin is one, because I hadn't played the mandolin in a couple of years, and I wanted to bring that skill back and, mm. and play again. And then another one is my handwriting, <clears throat> which I've been trying to work on. I, I just want to make it better. And so I've been practicing handwriting, like, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes every day, like literally doing drills and exercises and, you know, like copying letters <laughs> over and over again. I know it's nerdy, but it's the same, same thing as with a, a, a mandolin. I mean, a, or a guitar instrument for that matter, you're taking, you're taking something that requires quite a bit of, um, like micro muscle movements and coordination. Like if you think about what you're doing when you write, like it doesn't matter how good your handwriting is when you write the fact that you can do that so quickly and thoughtlessly and that it can be legible by someone else is mm-hmm. kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, writing is like playing an instrument. It's like performing an art. And so I've been practicing those two things a little bit every day. And yesterday I was really frustrated Hmm. both both handwriting and mandolin the practice the time i spent practicing was just frustrating i was upset with how i sounded with how it felt i couldn't you know like we do these things like we learn to play an instrument because it's pleasurable and this practice was not pleasurable Hmm. it was like i wanted to give up i was upset at myself for not sounding good for not writing well Um, and the practice felt counterproductive. It felt like the more I practiced, the worse it was getting. Mm. And I'm a, I'm a decent musician. Like I've been practicing music for many, many decades. You're well above average. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so I know it doesn't sound bad, but it sounded mm. bad to me. And it was, this is a common sort of, I think anytime you're working at something and I'm going to use those two examples, um, mandolins and handwriting specifically, but I think it, it applies to anything that you're working on in life. Mm. Um, anytime you approach a skill, approach something that takes skill, you're, it's easy to gain maybe the first level of proficiency at mm. something because you're, you have so much to learn and it's all new. It feels like you're making massive progress. Yeah. And it's like that 80, 20 rule mm. getting that last 20% is really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. And so you start to get frustrated with yourself. You feel like you're not improving. You're not getting better. Maybe actually you're getting worse, you know? <clears throat> and I thought, well, what do you do? What are you supposed to do when you hit something like that? And thought about that for a while and realized that with music, my answer is, well, slow things down. If you're trying to play a song, trying to practice a song and you feel like you're just falling apart, can't, can't get it, slow the song down to like half the speed or a quarter of the speed. Um, slow it way down mm -hmm. and then count, count the rhythm and breathe, focus on the counting and the breathing. And if you do that long enough, your muscles, the, will these tiny little muscles will start working in unison to do the thing that you want them to do. Mm. Um, but I think here's where the whole thought process got profound to me because <clears throat> there's something counterintuitive about the idea of practicing. Like we all know that saying practice makes perfect and or 10,000 hours. Or yeah. Whatever. Or you just put the time in and you'll get better at, but it's not true. Mm. It isn't that you can just put the time in. You also have to have an attitude toward the time you're putting in, which is appropriate. So if I spend 10,000 hours playing the guitar, that's not going to make me an expert. I have to practice the guitar. Mm -hmm. And what is practice? Well, practice is something like acknowledging all the parts that aren't as good as you'd like them to be. Like you're going to sit down and practice if you're going to sit down and practice, you're going to sit down and look at everything bad. Um, so it's like I can play the guitar and I can play a song and I can enjoy that or the mandolin and enjoy that. But I want to be better. There's songs I can't play. And so I sit down and practice. And so I have to, when I sit down to do that, not interact with the pleasure, pleasurable part of playing the instrument. I have to interact with all the things that aren't pleasurable, that are hard, hmm. that I'm not good at. It's like a journey into the decomposition of everything and, and a voluntary look at ev all the ways that I'm failing to be as good as I want to be. Hmm. And that's what practice is. And you do practice, you get better. Hmm. You might get a little <clears throat> bit better with just sheer time and playing, but practice is how you make a voluntary, diligent improvement. Definitely makes me think of, well, as you were talking about that, um, the flow state. Mm. And there's this kind of idea of, there's this, uh, there's this place where two things meet, which basically is your skill and your challenge. And if you have the skill and the challenge meet at this perfect place where you're challenged just enough that you're kind of out of your league, but you also have the skill to kind of match that challenge. And it's sort of the, it's described as the flow state. Right. And mm -hmm. then there's times where you come out of that flow state 
and it's on one, one side or the other is that if you're not being challenged enough, then your skill, you you, you get kind of bored by it because your skill is just sort of plateauing. <clears throat> right. You know, but if you're in a split place where you're being too challenged and you don't have enough skill, then you get very, you can get very discouraged and, um, and it's very frustrating and, uh, um, chaotic. Uh, there's another word I'm looking for here. Uh, anxiety and anxious when you're out, when you're, when you're on that side of the, of the chart. And so we're always kind of like going back and forth in this area of having skills, building skills and being challenged. And that's kind of where you stay in the flow state. And sometimes you come out of that on one side or the other. Yeah. And you either need to build more skills or, or, or find a, a bigger challenge. And, and that's kind of how you reenter that flow state. Hmm. My understanding. That's sort of a good overlay, which um, is kind of like the balance of chaos and chaos and order is, is, is another way to kind of look at that. So maybe if you feel like you're failing at improving, you feel like you're failing at getting better at something that you want to get better at. You are too far outside of the, um, challenge versus capability. Mm-hmm. What would you call that? Uh, well, it's like, if you have the skills, you're going to get bored because mm-hmm. you don't, you don't, ha- you're not, you're not rising to a new challenge. So then you practice and then you start looking at all the things that you're not good at, which then that challenges you. Yeah. And it actually emphasizes, sort of uh, puts a spotlight on the places that you're not, you're not as you thought you sh- would be or should be or could be, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, at some point too, is like maybe you get a way out of your league and you're just in, and the, the obstacle is too much. And that's, I think when you're just talking about like slowing it down and building right. the skills so that you can match that challenge of what you have in your head of how good you could be, or maybe trying to match that vision that you have. Right. Well, it's like, you know, that the song fly to the bumblebee, uh, usually played on piano. It's like really fast. I think so. It's like super, super fast. Mm-hmm. Um, like, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that know, good? I can't sing it. That was good. <laughs> um, it's like, you might not be able to play that, Yeah. but if you slowed that down, you know, 50 times to where the notes weren't, but mm-hmm. just like, da you could play that. Mm-hmm. Like that's within your capability. Yeah. So if you go play it at that speed, well, it's going to take you forever to play the song. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to recognize it. It's mm-hmm. not going to be that pleasurable, mm-hmm. you know, to you or anybody else. But if you go play it at a speed at which you can play it and then start incrementally increasing the speed and keep doing it over and over and over and over. And as soon as you miss a note or it gets hard, slow it back down. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you'll be able to play the song at full speed. Hmm. But that's because you lowered the challenge down to where you had some potential to, to overcome it. What keeps us from practicing? Cause I mean, you're, I think when you, when you, when you were saying practice, it seems like that's more of a deliberate mm-hmm. time that you're setting aside. It's not just a happenstance. Like you just, you pick up your guitar and you just play. It's like, right. Um, it seems more intentional. It is more intentional. Like, so there's a difference between p- playing a song 
because I like to play songs and mm-hmm. practicing an instrument. There's a difference between journaling, writing in, in my journal, mm-hmm. and practicing handwriting. <clears throat> in the, the former case, so with mandolin, I'm like, okay, for 30 minutes every day, I'm going to practice these scales. And I'm going to practice these moves. Um, and I'm going to break them down. I'm going to do them as slowly as possible mm. and think about that. Um, with handwriting, it's like I'm not writing words. I'm writing components of letters. Because you can take every letter and break it down into its into little components. Mm-hmm. And I'm just practicing those individual parts. It's like practicing a scale on, a, on an instrument. You don't, you don't generally play scales in the context of a song. <laughs> But the scale is the thing that gives you the the movement and the proficiency of movement and vocabulary and understanding of the instrument to where then when you then when you go play a song, you know where the notes are. Mm-hmm. So it's it is intentional, and I think we don't tend to practice um, because it sucks. <laughs> like it's not, uh-huh. and I think that's part of the frustration that I had yesterday. It's like you get frustrated because you don't feel like you're improving and you're doing this thing that is not intrinsically pleasurable hmm. and you think, well, why am I doing this then? Oh, right. Because when I go to play a song, I want to be better than I was yesterday. When I get to the part that's pleasurable, mm-hmm. I want that. I want to increase that pleasure. And part of doing that is saying, well, I have to put the time in doing the drills and the fundamentals and and spend time with me at my worst, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to take all the worst parts of my playing and I'm going to spend 30 minutes with it. Mm. And that sucks. So we don't do it. Yeah. You know? Like, I remember I had a music teacher at some point in my life and I don't remember on what instrument, but she would ask me, you know, did you practice? Yes. What did you practice? So I played this song. She would be like, that's not practice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't practice. Mm-hmm. We practice so that we can play. You just played. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. It's like, I want to take this into so many different areas. I'm, you know, I think of you know, whether it's business or work or, you know, <laughs> I wonder if there's even things with you, like being married and, uh, and having kids are <laughs> ways to practice that you can get better at, you know, being a better father or being a better husband or a friend or, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, Hey Matt, let me practice on you and being yeah, a better friend. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I think you can. Yeah. So with kids, one thing that popped into my head is I try to practice, um, like when I drive my girls to school in the morning, mm-hmm. it's like 15 minutes in the car. And we're all tired, you know, tired and somewhat stressed. And usually there's been an argument or something. And it's really tempting to just sit quietly in the car, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> just like I'm waiting to drop you off so that there can be some peace or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like try to practice talking to them. Mm. And it's interesting. It's, <clears throat> it's hard because a lot of times I don't know what to say. Mm. I don't know what to say to my kids. They're living a different life than I've ever known. And, you know. They have their own little worlds that now they're that part they're of. <laughs> yeah their own little worlds and now that they're sort of in their early teens i I feel this gigantic divide between mm-hmm. myself and them, yeah, you know, so how do you cross that divide? I don't know, I think partly you practice, you just say, 
anybody have any dreams last night? Oh, that's a good one. Or, (laughs) you know, it's like, I have a set of questions Uh that I'll throw out when I don't know what else to say. And it usually gets a conversation started, Mm -hmm. but it takes, it takes that effort to do it. You know, it isn't like it's the end of the night and I really, Oh, I love that song. I want to grab my guitar and play that song. You know, it's not like an inspired thing. Hmm. Maybe that's another difference between play and practice. Play is inspired. Practice is intentional. Hmm. It's interesting when you were talking about like being in the car with your kids, like there's one thing that kind of goes through my head, uh, in that situation. Like I'll be in the car and, uh, cause everywhere we go, all of our kids' friends live at least 30 minutes away. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I just like that idea of being intentional and asking them questions. Cause that's, the song always comes to my head. It's like, uh, uh, Oh shoot. Man on the moon, man on the moon. When you're coming uh, home, I don't know when we'll, we'll get, get together, together then, son. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort Cats of Cats in the cradle. And the sil- there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of this idea of like, you know, the son was kind of got put off by his dad for so long. And then, you know, then the dad's kind of wanting to, you know, get together with the son. The son's like, hey, right. I'm really busy. Right. You know, hey, we'll get together then, you know, and then it was kind of come right back at him. And I was just like, I always, I always think of that. I was like, well, no, I really want to like engage my kids now. So it's right. natural. And you know, we can have that relationship into their future. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but if you don't build that now, it's like, I mean, even being a small business owner, I mean, I know our business has taken a lot of, you know, my time and stuff like that. It's like, it's like, if I don't want, I don't want that to rob, rob me in my, my future with my kids. You right. know, it's like how to balance that. But I think practicing, that engagement, even when I don't want to, or I'm tired or, yeah, you know, I love that. Well, I think it's an, an interesting distinction to make. I heard someone say once of yoga, that yoga is practice. Hmm. Practice for what becomes the question? Hmm. Well, for the rest of your life. So when you do yoga, what are you doing? You're concentrating on the movements of your body you're concentrating on your breath mm-hmm. you're usually concentrating mentally on something like gratitude is a common one. Mm-hmm. So that's practice. And when you get done, then you play, you play your body, you play your breath, you play your mind like a song throughout the day. Yeah. So true. I didn't even know that that's what yoga is about, but that's, that's how I use it. Honestly, it's like, Mm-hmm. Like I need to, I need to practice my body, <laughs> right? Because if I don't, it, does, it can't do the things that I need it to do later on, right? <laughs> or the breathing that you and I talk about a lot. It's something that I see that difference when I practice my breathing, and and then throughout the day, then I kind of like it can kind of come back to that. But it's like, yeah, something about that starting your day with that is like really helpful. I don't think I've ever put that together about yoga and practice. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. Like it made me think differently too about it, that yoga, the yoga isn't the yoga. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yoga is the practice. The actual yoga is the rest of your life. Mm. Which is interesting. I've, I've, I've I've had this ingrained in me from a fairly young age, I think. Um, And also just think uh, a lot of my Christian background too, is like, you know, you get up and read your Bible and, and pray. And that's how you start your day. Like it, you orient yourself and sort of like you, you're in, in this instance would be sort of like you're orient, you're orienting yourself with your creator. And so that throughout the day, 
you have a frame of reference, you know, but you know how it is, is like when you wake up late and you're running and everyone's going crazy and it's like, it might be 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock. You're like, Oh, okay. Sort of life just happened to you. You know, it's like, um, but there's something about like sort of starting your day in a way that orients yourself or you practice preparing for the day. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's been a very helpful exercise that was, I think ingrained in me very early on that there's, it's very important to orient yourself in the morning Mm -hmm. to get up before everyone else or to have a quiet time. However you choose to do that, you know? Right. And get yourself settled so that life's not happening to you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is interesting. Like in my life, um, half the time I'm here with my kids and half the time they're with their mom. So I'm alone here. And Mm. the mornings that my kids are here and specifically school mornings Mm -hmm. are always the best. Those days end up being the best days. And I think a good healthy part of that, the reason for that is that on those days I get up early Mm. and I always do yoga and exercise, Mm. walk the dog. You know, I know it's going to be a long, hard day and I know I need to do that to get through it. Yeah. But then on the days they're not here, I don't really do that. Hmm. So it'd be the similar question of like, why, you know, why don't we practice? Well, cause it's hard because <laughs> it sucks, <laughs> Yeah. but it's worth it, mm-hmm. you know, but you wake up, you wake up, you don't have a strong reason to do it. You're like, oh, I could skip today, you know? Yeah, totally. And then you don't have that great of a day, and you're like, oh, I should sleep more tomorrow night. And, you know, yeah. and you it hear takes... David Goggins in your head, get your fucking ass out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it takes discipline. Practice is discipline, and it takes discipline to engage it. Mm-hmm. But the benefit of it... Well, I say the benefit of it is worth it, but a lot of the times we don't behave that way. We know it's worth it and we still don't do it. Yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, this, this has maybe a little bit to do with this, but it uh, just made me think of this as uh, I've been looking at some, some trading, uh, stock trading strategies and stuff. And a lot of the people I've been kind of following and listening to is like you, you know, it's like there's kind of three, three tiers of the triangle is sort of like, you know, you need to have discipline, you need to have strategy and you have risk management it's like, so this, this sort of triangle is something that you have to sort of implement into your life, you know, because without discipline, you're going to go after these crazy trades or try mm-hmm. to grow, go after more than what you should have. You know, uh, risk management is understanding like how much money you're putting at risk at each time and only putting it, uh, uh, risking as much as you can to make it sustainable, you know, over time. Um, and just the discipline to, was that, did I say discipline or was it strategy? Well, <laughs> I don't know which one. <laughs> it was, and having a strategy and sticking to it, you yeah. know? And I think there's something like that. And that kind of, as I was looking at that kind of goes across time is like, you have to practice that because at each point you're going to think like, Oh, I can grab a couple of extra points off this one, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is you might win one or two times. And that's the thing that, that this one guy, Gareth Soloway, who talks about, he's like, yeah, it's like you might be 100% up one year and 50% down the next and then up 100% the next year and 50% down the next. And it's like, but if you just go 10 to 20% every year 
And it's something that, that you might not get the big wins and stuff like that, but over a longer period of time, you'll actually end up making more money because right. your, your losses won't be as big right. and your wins <clears throat> won't be as big, but, um, it evens out because usually you lose more than you. <laughs> it's like, it's the same thing with poker strategy too. It's not about, it's, it's really about losing the least amount. Hmm. Uh, Negrano gets into this really interesting, uh, I don't think I do as well as he can, but or was what he says is like, like optimal poker strategy is basically you're operating at zero. Like if everyone's, if everyone's doing optimal poker strategy, it's like, there is no winner, hmm. but it's about being able to, uh, to function at that sort of like optimal poker strategy and then be able to exploit your opponent's uh, variations and stuff like that. But right. uh, like playing a little bit more loose or a little bit more tight, depending on, your opponent but that's the thing is like you have to be disciplined and have a strategy you know going into your i mean i think that's part of practice and is you don't just you don't that just doesn't happen overnight Mm -hmm. like it takes practice to be able to develop that discipline you know develop that strategy Mm -hmm. and understand your risk management and why you're doing it Hmm. my mind went to Neuralink. Hmm. so well, I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, but there's something about, so Neuralink is, um, Elon Musk's project where he, I don't know what they're doing, somehow attaching a computer to the brain. Mm-hmm. So it evokes images of like the matrix, right? And the idea of like, <laughs> I know jujitsu, <laughs> you can just yeah. upload it into your brain. And I, I don't think that that's possible. <coughs> I, I have a really hard time believing that that could be possible because mm-hmm learning skills takes time. It isn't just information. It is Mm. something like an attitude that you have to have toward it in order to acquire it. Hmm. And you, I don't think you can upload that. Essentially. Okay. As you said, that's like you, you might be able to upload that. So say somebody who's in really good shape and you give them the knowledge of something, then they might be able to actually act on that quicker, you know? If that makes sense, or because they they already have the the physicality of right. that movement, you know, but that's already that's but you're actually just enhancing something that so, something that you someone already has, you know? right? But you can't enhance something that you know, like a big you know eight hundred pound guy. You can't teach him jujitsu in a way that's <laughs> effective, you know, because <laughs> it isn't just the knowledge; it's mm-hmm. also it's the body. Mm-hmm. With jujitsu, it's the body, it's the experience. Um, and experience is more than just memory. <laughs> uh, we've got this guy's land before. Uh, Matt actually knows the guy, but uh, what about Chuck? It's uh, it's this TV show, and he basically has a supercomputer downloaded into his head. And you see him have the problem of being able to act out all the things that he has just stuck in. Oh, you're talking about Zachary Levi. Mm -hmm. I don't, I I haven't seen that show. Oh, it's great. I I really love it. I've actually watched it now the season Mm -hmm. twice Oh, cool. (laughs) because it's, I I love the idea of like, cause he's discovering it. It's all there, Mm -hmm. but he also has has to be discovered mm -hmm, because he's got blocks. He's got mental blocks. Uh, he's got doubt and insecurities that keep him from actually reaching his full potential. So even though you might be, have the knowledge or the capabilities, or at least I like this interpretation of how they did it, you know, um, which makes a lot of sense to mm-hmm. me. Um, cause I think 
we're all capable of a lot of things, but we also have all these psychological blocks or spiritual blocks or, or whatever it might be, or beliefs about ourselves that right. keep us from reaching our potential. So to think that a machine could just download something like here's some self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of like the idea that you can't derive an ought from an is. So you can give me a bunch of information, but so what? You know, if I don't have the desire to do something with it, mm. I'll have no idea how to value it. And it doesn't even matter that I have it. Yeah. You know, so everything seems to follow from, well, what ought you do? Mm-hmm. You know, and you can tell me what I ought to do, but I think you will, we all know how people generally feel about being told what to do. That doesn't make you want to do that. You know, you might do it because you're being told and because there's a consequence for not doing it or maybe some benefit, you know, there's a carrot or a stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the good part of life, the pleasurable part of life is having desire for something mm-hmm. and then receiving it. Yeah. And in that case, I think in order to value the thing that we desire, we have to approach it with a certain attitude, partly of humility. Mm. We have to approach it with an attitude of, it takes humility because I have to have an attitude of, I'm willing to be bad, essentially. Like if you, you know, if you wanted to start playing the guitar, you'd pick up the guitar and you would be like, I can't play this, you know, but I'm willing to be bad at guitar for some period of time, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, then you start, interacting with that potential flow state because maybe you get a little bit better and you're like, Oh wow, I'm not so bad anymore. And now this, Mm -hmm. I've got some pleasure from that. And, um, and then maybe at some point, you know, like me where I am that I've been playing for 30 years and I want to get better. Well, what do I have to do? I have to be willing to get worse. Mm. I have to be willing to be bad again. You know, I have to break things down to find my insufficiencies and, then play like a beginner again. But interesting too, like that once you've re, re reached a certain level of uh, proficiency in something and then you fall out of practice, it's interesting that you can actually get back to that proficiency f- not fairly quickly, even though you still have to be bad for a period of time, right. but you, you do have the understanding of what it feels like and what it is like to be at that level. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could just even take like push-ups, for example. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I stopped doing all the, I was doing 50 to 100 push-ups a day. And um, and then I'm back down to like 30 push-ups a day, you know. But it's like, I, I know what it feels like and what it's like to do 100 push-ups, you know. And so it's not out of the realm of possibility, which before I was up to that level, you know, it's like, that seemed like an insurmountable thing, you know, to, to achieve. So, so there is something to practicing and then, and then having that understanding and insight into what that, what that achievement is to be able to at least get back to that space is, is understandable. But there is something that we always have to be pushing ourselves just one, one push up more in whatever we're doing. Cause do you ever experience kind of like a a leveling out that like, Oh, I'm just going to stay here at this level. It seems totally. Like, it seems like it it loses yeah. any sort of pleasure at that point. Mm. I mean, I'm sure you can still. There's still a, a, a amount of pleasure there, but 
is that uh, this is that just a flaw in, in my thinking as far as you kind of always have to Im- improve or else you just kind of you lose that <laughs> you lose that enjoyment <laughs> i think there's something true in that there's obviously <clears throat> the opposite like just like not enjoying where you're at what you have too i mean i think that's that's an unfortunate which is why we need things like gratitude mm-hmm. to take to look at the things that we have and but I think that, well, meaning itself is the sense that we are moving towards some goal. Hmm. And so when you stop moving toward a goal, you lose a sense of meaning. Hmm. And I think we tend to attach or experience things, meaningful things through joy and pleasure. And, ex- and that makes us excited. Hmm. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think that when you stop improving, it becomes kind of boring. And, and the better you get get at something, maybe the harder you have to look for ways to improve. <laughs> and, and improving those takes a lot more work. Mm. You know, when you first learn <clears throat> to play the guitar, I could probably teach you within 15 minutes how to play a D chord and you'd learn it. You'd figure, mm-hmm. you know, you'd, you'd get the shape and figure out how to put your fingers there and strum and you'd do it. Yeah. Right. Um, when you want to improve, let's say the cleanliness and your ability to control the volume of a tremolo picking pattern on the mandolin. So that'd be quite a bit harder mm. because to improve that, it's not just somebody shows you, it's not just information. It's, Oh, I've got to do this thing where I take a pattern and I slow it way down and I count and I breathe and I do it over and over and over, mm-hmm. you know, until my muscles start to do what I want them to do. That's how you improve that. And I think the better you get, the ways to improve are much harder come by. Mm. Harder one. Um, Plus, I'd first have to understand what you said, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a great quote by, um, I was just looking it up and I can't find it. I don't remember if it's C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton who said something like, um, young students will complain about learning their grammar and doing their yeah. grammar exercises, mostly because they have no way to understand the joy that they will get from reading the great poets and authors. Mm. But the thing is you can't understand the joy unless you first through discipline, learn the fundamentals that allow you access to the joy. Mm. Um, so I think that that idea of constantly improving is always worth it because there's always revelation on the other side of it. Yeah. Revelation and meaning. It's kind of also just built into our, our, uh, the shores of ignorance, you know, as my island acknowledge, as my island of knowledge expands, well, it's not just an island of knowledge. It's an expanding island. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's like, cause like, uh, you know, if it's not expanding, then you're not really, you're not learning anything. You're not growing. And there's something about that. Was it the, a rolling stone gathers no moss? You know, there's, there's so many different, uh, (laughs) uh, little, um, analogies of, of that. There's, it's just such a a beautiful element of paradox in 
so many things in the world that you mm-hmm. experience. Well, even just uh, this last month, I turned 45. <clears throat> and I was like, wow, it's like, I've learned so much up until this point. Like, what if this is only half my life? It's like, I have a whole another 45 years that I could learn something else or something new. Right. And it's just super exciting because you have to go through all the awkwardness of your first 20 years, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, and then just figuring what the hell that all means in the next 10. So now you're 30, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, by 45, it's like, you're like, Oh, cool. Well, let's, let's, let's explore something. And, and like even the idea of, having practiced different things throughout my life. I mean, cause I feel like that's something you were saying with your music. It's, this is something you know and understand like this sucks, mm-hmm. but I've experienced this not just once, not just twice. It's right. like multiple times. Yeah. And there's something about having that wisdom to, and not that it doesn't suck when you're going through it, but it's still like, you still have that tangible experience to, to contend with of moving forward. Well, it reminds me of, um, I, I think this thing, this whole thing that we're articulating, I think is really at the core of why often you will hear, I, I guess I don't hear it so much anymore, but often like maybe in our more, our generation, our parents' generation, like parents would require their kids to learn an instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think part of the reason that they do that is you're, you're interfacing with this concept without having to articulate it, but you're interfacing with the concept of if I am disciplined, I can create joy essentially and discover that there is joy to be had that I had no way of conceptualizing Mm. except through finding it through the discipline Mm -hmm. of, of sitting down and doing something. Um, Heather Hying on the Dark Horse podcast like a couple of years ago told this story that's been stuck in my head um, and I think it applies here which is that I think she said she was walking somewhere and she saw this statue and she went up and looked at the statue and read the placard on it statue of a man and the placard had his name and described what he had done and I think he was a like a politician or something but she noted that the placard read he was a welder and a father and a politician, something like that. Mm -hmm. And she said, I thought it was so interesting that they led with that. He was a welder. Mm. And she observed that maybe the, the reason that that was important to include is that that man had some experience with the world with doing something that couldn't lie to him. Hmm. And I think that's the process we're talking about. Oh, I love that. Which is you sit down to try to play guitar. It's the same thing. If you try to weld two pieces of metal or it's the same thing. If you um, try to build something out of wood, you can't lie to yourself about how good you are at that. <laughs> totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the guitar either makes sound that pleases you and other people or doesn't. Mm-hmm. And you can, it's not subjective. Yeah. <laughs> it, and the, the table you try to build out of wood either stands up or it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, whereas with things like politics, 
you don't have such sort of objective standards by which you can like you can kind of lie to yourself about how good you are at it. Mm -hmm. You're not getting that real direct feedback and having experience doing things with real direct feedback like that, I think changes what well, humbles you. Mm -hmm. And it's important that people have that. And I, I worry that as our culture moves more and more online, more relationships are online. I worry about this for my kids and sort of our kids generation. Mm -hmm. Are they missing that experience with, well, with this idea of practice and discipline and the reward and joys of that, that come on the other side. Or even just being able to ask a girl out, you know, before the internet, you know, you had to like kind of, you had to kind of like buckle up and like kind of walk over and say, Hey, will you go out with me? Or, Hey, I like you. Right. Or, you know, when you're behind the console saying, Hey, maybe we should get together. You know, it's like, it, there's a lot more, uh, you know, maybe it's helpful for some shy people, you know, there might be some benefits to it too, but I think there's something that when we act in the real world and that there's sort of like a physical <clears throat> presence, you yeah. know, it's like you, you, you not only, if you get rejected, it's like, then you have to figure out, do you put your hands in your pocket and walk away or do you try again? Right. Or, you know, it's like, you know, and you're usually within, uh, your shots of other people. Yeah. Uh, in an observable distance of other people. Uh -huh. Whereas anybody can pick up a phone and swipe through a dating profile. Mm -hmm. It takes almost no investment at all. Yeah. Whereas to talk to someone in real life takes quite a bit of investment and, and risk that you have to be willing to take. Yeah. And I think that's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. When we were at the beginning of the conversation thinking about like practice, I mean, I think talking to women is something you have to practice hmm. for men. You know, totally. when, you're, when you're younger, mm -hmm. you want to ask someone out, how do you do that? Hmm. How do you even talk to women in general? You mm -hmm. know, well, you practice. I mean, that's even just make the decision to say good morning to that cute girl who sits in front of you in history or whatever, you know, practice. Well, even just, you know, even nowadays there's not a protocol. I think that's one reason why you have civilizations, you know, it's, it's, or, you know, a, a civil way that we interact with each other, you know, you know, that's built into the culture, which, you know, for many years, especially more in the Western cultures, it's like, there was a, there's this idea that you court somebody mm -hmm. and a part of that courting was being around that person's family right? or a chaperone or something like that. A so, chaperone, a chaperone, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's where just, I come from. They call them chaperones, <laughs> you know? So there's something about that that kind of draws people into the real world as far as like, how serious are you? What are your intentions? And I think, you know, especially for men, I think that's, that's, there's, that, that's why we've built those sort of cultural sort of infrastructure in order to facilitate these things. Cause you know, even today where there's a lot, I, I can't even imagine as far as in the, in the dating, in the dating world is like, what are the rules? I don't yeah. think, I don't think we know what the rules are uh, from my understanding is uh, if it seems like women set the rules, which, you know, so men don't have, I think men don't know how to interact with women in the real world hmm. today. 
I'm, I'm jumping out of, I've been married for 20 years. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> but, I, but I am thinking about it for my kids. You know, it's, 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 you know, I think there's been a lot of great relationships that have started online, you know, and that's, that's great. But I mean, how, how are they going to get to know somebody like Alice and I were really good friends for two years before we started dating. So like we had real world experience together mm-hmm. and I saw mm-hmm. her outside of, you know, the hormonal Michael who's got this hot chick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, it's like I got to see her interact with people and be herself outside of a dating relationship, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, outside of maybe church or some sort of, you know, social activities, it's, it's hard to, to really get to know anybody because an online profile is not going to tell you much. Right. <laughs> I mean, what do you think for your kids and like dating and their future? And I mean, I mean, there's a certain amount of practice. Like it used to be like you practice at school, like with dances and, right. Um, we did cotillion when I was growing up. Um, cotillion. What is that? It's basically like, uh, it's a glorified sort of, they kind of teach you manners and how to like, you know, interact and, and ask, you know, how to ask for a dance. And they kind of facilitate this sort of interaction between awkward teenagers. Mm, right. <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. I don't know what to do about that with my kids because they're on the internet and they're going to have online relationships whether I want them to or not. You know, it's like we grew up, our generation was mostly married already by the time online dating was possible. I think my kids are essentially online dating already. Hmm. You know, they're not on Tinder, but they're on social media apps, you know? And I think that there's an interesting observation there in that, like I've seen people say things like, like, here's a hot take. LinkedIn is the best online dating app. (laughs) Really? Yeah. That's hilarious. It's an interesting thing to say, right? Because (laughs) LinkedIn isn't a dating app, but Mm you know, what is a dating app? Well, you have some information about the person that hopefully is relevant to you. Some kind of look into their life. Yeah. Well, what's the difference between a dating app and LinkedIn? Hmm. LinkedIn has a ton of relevant information about you. Where did you go to school? Where have you worked? Um, what kind of skills do you have that people have endorsed you for? Mm-hmm. What's your network, your professional network of people? That's a dating app. That's hilarious. The, I never thought about that. The like difference, that. <laughs> the difference, uh, <coughs> the thing that makes a dating app a dating app. So when I say a dating app, I mean the Tinder, Hinge, all of those that are specifically um, about dating. Mm-hmm is that if you connect with someone, there's an, an implicit admission that hmm. I'm interested in you. Interesting. So huh. if I were to use, let's say, so I think this person's observation that LinkedIn is the best dating app, 
the thing that's missing there is that if I connect with someone on LinkedIn, they are not assuming that I'm interested in them. Interesting. Uh-huh. So it's more like the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go out to, let's just say a bar, um, and I, no, I don't want to use that example. Let's say I, <laughs> I go to a coffee shop mm-hmm. and I go order a coffee and strike up small talk with the barista who I think is cute. There isn't an implicit understanding that my interaction with her is signaling my romantic interest. Mm -hmm. So at some point I have to find a way to say to her, I'm buying this cup of coffee, but I'm interested in something more. Mm. And that's the skill Mm -hmm. that I think it takes in the real world. Yeah. That doesn't take on dating apps. And so if you were to take that skill and, and overlay that on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, those would be much more, much better dating apps than Hmm. the actual dating apps. That's really interesting. So maybe the other side of that observation is, okay, well, if I can use social media as a dating app, Mm -hmm. then in that way, all my kids are already on dating apps. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that they're using them much differently those social media platforms yeah. than you and I mm-hmm. or How really so? anyone in our generation because they're using them to facilitate relationships and they develop their own oh, interesting. cues for what kind of relationship is this going to be? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think I'm trying to think of like how Allison interacts with social media versus me. It's like, <clears throat> for me, it's like, which I don't interact on any social media at all, except for I just read Twitter, <laughs> but I'm like a, a passive person. I'm not an active person on Twitter. Um, but it's more of like, Hey, I'm doing these things. Oh, and then I'll put it on Instagram or something like that. That's, but it's, it wasn't like, it wasn't for Instagram, you know, where like mm-hmm. if you're developing relationships on Instagram, you're wanting to put things on there for that community or the people that you're interacting with on that site. Maybe that's why I don't post as much as I should uh, for our shores of ignorance. <laughs> you have to switch my perspective <laughs> on that. You know, it's like, because there's that part of like building a community. Like, you know, if we were more active on social. You yeah. Know. Hmm. Well, maybe that's the difference is like, I don't ever consider using social media to meet people. Our kids do. Our kids meet people online hmm. and they're totally comfortable doing that. Yeah. Whereas if I'm out at a bar, I'll meet people. Mm-hmm. Let's talk to new people. But I don't ever go jump into a conversation on Twitter or like comment on someone's Instagram that I don't know. Yeah. Like we, our brains aren't wired in relation to social media that way, but our kids are. Mm-hmm. Our kids' minds are. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, just to, tie that back to again in practicing is like they're they've had a lot more practice mm-hmm. as the as these these different mediums of relationship have sort of grown where it's like it's not it's not inherent to us to to engage in these things in that way it's like uh, like you know the first time you got on a dating app like how was that for you was that something mm-hmm. like you had to work on or was that weird or <clears throat> or did it, or did it make sense? And it was like, okay, this is, this is something that I'm engaging in. Yeah, it was definitely weird. 
I definitely had to have, um, so I got divorced six years ago Mm -hmm. and probably first got on a dating app five years ago or something. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time, did I get those numbers right? Something like that. I definitely had to have like my sister help me understand. Interesting. Like, what does it mean if I match with someone? What is their expectation? Which is hilarious because you're a computer guy. Like you do programming all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't help you understand the relational aspect okay, of, true. of true. like if you match with somebody on a dating app, it's mm-hmm. like, does that mean that they're actually interested in me? Does that mean married. that they like me? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, does that mean they think I'm attractive? I don't know. You know, what does it mean? And then, you know, how do you have a conversation with a stranger via text? Mm-hmm something I'm, I had to learn to do. And again, our kids have learned to do this just from their daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and that's somewhat difficult. It's difficult to have a text conversation with someone you don't know. It doesn't work most of the time. Yeah. And it's exhausting. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> it sounds horrible. Yeah. And every once in a while, like I would, I would, I've been on dating apps a couple, I don't know, maybe three times, three different periods in between relationships. And, um, at some point I just get bored or burnt out of the text texting with people. And I'll just be like, Hey, do you want to just skip the texting part and meet up for a drink? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's only worked one time though. Hmm. Most people aren't up for it. Sometimes women would say that they would, and then they would either cancel or not show up. Hmm. That's interesting. And I could get why, like it's pretty scary mm-hmm. because you meet, you match somebody on a social media or sorry, a dating app, especially for the women's side. Who is this guy? Is he safe? Can I trust him? Should I meet him in real life? You know, it's much harder for them to answer yes to those things hmm. to some random dude on the internet, even than it would be like if you had just met, this person randomly at a bar, at least in that case, you know, the way that he interacts socially, is he awkward? Is he aggressive? Is he creepy? You know, okay, well he hangs out at this bar that says something about him. You know, it's in this neighborhood and maybe he's with people and you can kind of judge them. So it's a lot easier, a lot easier to be like, okay, I'd be around this person again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you get none of that in the online world. Well, which is something person. I'm trying to teach my kids is yeah. like when you have relationships with people online and I'm, I don't mean like romantic ones, but like if you haven't met someone in person, you, you know, virtually nothing about them mm-hmm. and remember that. Well, even just in that, that sort of context you're kind of building, whether it be at a bar or at a social engagement of some sort is that you also have your friends with you that can also give you feedback on what they're seeing. You know, it's like, so you might think this girl is cute, but you know, your friends like going, Hey, I don't know about this one. You know, it's like, right. So if you're infatuated with her, it can be like, you have, you have all these other ways. And also for the lady too, is like, Hey, no, I think, I think this guy's like, this guy's, you can kind of, you know, flirt a little bit more or whatever, you know, right. it's like, but you, you don't have that someone no, one, no one's on the text well, that's interesting. with you <laughs> we, i think we've formulated this before like like the reality of knowing something how do you know 
And it's something mm. like a um, confirmation through multiple senses. Mm. Like if I feel heat where I don't expect it, that I might think, oh, there's a, f- there's a fire somewhere. Mm-hmm. But if I feel heat and smell smoke, I'm much more sure there's a fire somewhere. Mm. If I feel heat and smell smoke and see red or see flame, mm-hmm. I'm basically positive there's a fire. But the ultimate level of reality validation mm-hmm. is that I experience something with multiple senses and you experience the same thing mm. with the same senses yeah. and confirm. And that confirmation is like that validates reality. Mm. And so that social validation of what you suspect or feel towards a, a potential romantic interest uh, is really important. And you don't get that in online dating mm-hmm. probably until like you're going to text for a while, maybe talk on the phone. You're going to go out on a date, maybe two, three dates. At this point, I think most people are already sleeping with each other. Mm-hmm. And then, then maybe mm. your friends meet them. Yeah. You meet their friends. You get that social validation way late in the process. Mm. Which is always interesting too. Like that's why such or traditionally has been such a big deal is that, Hey, I want you to meet my parents. Mm. Like that's sort of like the number one, it's sort of, Hey, this is kind of serious and it's time for you to meet my parents. And that kind of gives that sort of validity as of the relationship in general. I've gotten to a point in my dating life where I've seriously thought about like early on, just sending someone by themselves to my parents' house <laughs> and just be like, they're going to make the call. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then it just occurred to me, what, what would it be like if we started a, a dating app that that was the thing? Mm-hmm. Like you don't meet that person first. Oh, you meet their parents first. Uh-huh. And then the parents decide whether you progress. <laughs> <clears throat> I could almost see that working uh-huh. in a world that, I feel like dating apps are failing people for the most part, you know? Well, I think, yeah, I, yeah continue. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of like almost proving myself wrong as in my head as I'm saying these things, but I, in my mind, you know, especially as, as people start hitting into their thirties and are looking for something maybe more meaningful, you know, as far mm-hmm. as like, not just, you know, in some instances, maybe a hookup or dabbling around and seeing, you know, maybe there's somebody out there, but I mean, if you're really serious about finding a mate, you know, there's something about it's, it's very important that they're around your friends and your family right? that help sort of like, it can kind of like alleviate a lot of heartache (laughs) (laughs) because it's like, it's like, uh, yeah, I think it's just really, <laughs> hmm. yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is like, I'm, I'm super curious about how our kids are going to navigate this world because yeah, curious and terrified, curious and terrified. Yeah. Because you know, you, everybody, every parent wants them to find that, that person that's going to like, 
you know, be a lifelong partner for them. And because we both, we both know that it's fucking hard as shit because we're humans and we're dumb and (laughs) and we do stupid shit. And it's like, it's like finding somebody in your life that you can do dumb and stupid shit and (laughs) still walk through life. And get through it and correct it with, (laughs) yeah. And so, I mean, that's the, I think that's, that's kind of what it's, what it's about, you know, for the most part. Well, I don't know exactly how we went from I know, practice. practice to dating apps. <laughs> I don't know either. Um, so here's another thing that I want to practice. Mm. And I think, I think maybe we're kind of at the end of the conversation here, but so something I want to get better at is saying what I think. Mm. That's not exactly right. I want to know what I think. And I want to know how to say it. Mm. And I think actually our podcast is good practice for that. Totally. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you are a, <laughs> a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> um, our relationship, I mean, I, having a friendship like yours allows me to experiment in my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like I don't think about social media as a place to meet people mm-hmm. for dating or otherwise, you know, it's like, um, like I also don't use social media or Twitter. Let's just focus on Twitter for a second. Cause you said you, you read Twitter, but mm-hmm. you, you're passive. You don't, you don't tweet. Yeah. Um, we should come up with a word for a Twitter reader who's not a Twitter tweeter. There is one. I, is I, saw, I saw it used recently. On, okay. Uh, You'll yeah. have to find that and send it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I tweet some, mm-hmm. but it's hard. I struggle with it. I send you tweets all the time. <laughs> yeah, we both do. <laughs> we send each other tweets all the time because there's so many interesting things. I mean, I think we probably get a lot of our news from Twitter uh-huh. and learn, learn a lot there too. And mm-hmm. um, so I did have the thought the other day, like, what if, what if rather than every time I want to send you a tweet, mm-hmm. what if I didn't send you the tweet, but instead responded to the tweet, yeah. mentioned you uh-huh. and said what I thought? Huh? Oh, geez. And then there was, okay. And why would I want to do that? Mm-hmm. A, because it would force me to formulate what I think about that tweet. Yeah in a way that isn't just my shorthand language with you. <laughs> I have to figure out how to say something in a way that makes sense to anyone else in the public forum that might mm-hmm. read it. The second reason is that you and I are curating a conversation mm-hmm. between each other in our own text thread. Yeah. Well, what if we opened that up? Like what if we had that conversation actually on Twitter? It's, that's super fascinating. It's super fascinating, right? Terrifying, honestly. Terrifying. <laughs> and that's why I put it in the category of practice. Well, what if we practiced it? I'm not committing to anything, <clears throat> committing to anything, but that sounds super interesting. Yeah. Another version of that is I bookmark tons of mm-hmm. tweets, things that I want to come back to and read or think more about or that I think are really good or I want to talk to you about or mm-hmm. uh, stuff to potentially talk about on the podcast. And I thought, well, what if instead of bookmarking tweets, I, I responded to them. Mm. 
and I had to say why it was important to me to save it. Hmm. You know, so this is like just two ideas that I had for how to practice thinking, how to practice having something to say. Hmm. And it sounds terrible and horrifying and <laughs> uh, hard, but as I think hopefully we've made the case, um, a lot of times those things, if they're done diligently and with discipline, open up a whole new world hmm. of joy, pleasure, excitement, surprise. So, well, you've got my mind like just going 90 miles an hour on this, this idea. <laughs> okay. I, I kind of really like it, honestly. Mm. Nice. Yeah. But I'm not committing anything. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, All right. Well, let's leave it there. All right. Love you guys. Thanks for. Yeah. You have an empty shore there. Coming, <laughs> an empty shore. My glass is empty. Yours isn't. All right. Love you all. all right. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks <laughs> for coming to the shores. <laughs> Nobody can see. Right. Yeah. We haven't done video in ages. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> We're done. Done. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Bye.